Podcast Network. <laughs> Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of turkey alters his body chemistry. <laughs> and now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. <laughs> this is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 136 for the week of November 21st, 2016. I am needy pilgrim David T. Cole, and I'm here with legendary gravy Sarah D. Bunting. Save those giblets. And sweet potato Tara Ariano. Do not call me a yam. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Extra Hot Great, the Thanksgiving edition. This episode will feature a whole bunch of canon submissions about Thanksgiving episodes of television. But first, a little site business to let you know that there will be no podcast next week. Thanksgiving week, we are taking that week off. Uh, also my birthday. Yeah, because it's Tara's birthday. Like We're actually taking time off. Not just for Thanksgiving. We're actually going to be doing stuff. Maybe we'll go to the beach. Maybe we'll sit here and we'll just watch TV. Maybe we'll clean the yard up. Stay tuned. Uh, Not though. Bunsy's running the store. Yeah. Uh, and then also, we only have two minis this week because of the holidays. So uh, that is site business. And with that, let's get right into the meat of today's episode. It is... Time for the canon, and I will be going first. Today, I am presenting The Incredible Hulk, Season 3, Episode 6, <laughs> Homecoming. Why, you ask? Because I saw it on the list of episodes on television about Thanksgiving, and I thought, I'm just going to do it sight unseen. So here we go. David Banner is in Denver. Then on the news, that crusty old Dean Eckert is trying to buy farmland in Treverton to build a model city. Turns out that Treverton is David Banner's hometown. What? Now, if you don't know who David Banner is, David Banner is Bruce Banner, but Bruce is too gay of a name. <laughs> For so the 70s. he's David Banner. <laughs> um, and on the TV, he sees Helen Banner. Helen Banner. That is his little sister. She's being interviewed on TV, and it is none other than Dr. Pulaski from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, somebody who dropped down a shaft in L.A. Law. Yep, Sarah just said her Rosalind name. Jay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so David Banner actually touches the TV while she's on the screen. <laughs> like a hand slowly comes up from the bottom and touches the TV. First of all, don't touch your TV. No. Uh, second of all, Corny but kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone thinks David Banner's dead. That's what you have to remember about this episode, guys. We're talking Thanksgiving. We're talking family. But everybody thinks David Banner died in that gamma ray experiment accident. All right? Mm-hmm. Now, we've got all David Banner's thinking about his hometown. He's thinking about his family. There's all these flashbacks with like a really heavy echo effect when everybody's talking. You got the Vaseline on the... <laughs> size of the lens it's like and the fades in and out when david banner they take like three seconds each way it's so weird and slow also at this point after the flashbacks he goes and visits his hometown and we actually have genuine whistling on the soundtrack which you don't really get anymore Mm -mm. you don't get whistling 
So that was kind of fun. So he's at the Banner Farm. Dad Banner is having his crops dusted because there's beetle worms. It's beetle... not a euphemism. His crops are literally being dusted. Yeah. There's beater, uh, beetle uh, larvae eating his crops. And the chemicals, they do nothing. And then uh, Dean and Dad <laughs> Banner, of course, the old Dean Eckhart, he wants to buy the farm. They don't like each other because, you know, farmers never want to give up their land because they hate money. <laughs> David arrives in town. Helen is surprised that he's alive. Hooray. After reminiscing about a doll of hers that David dissected as a child, Helen recruits David to make a pesticide in a couple of days that'll kill the beetles that the entire American chemical pesticide industry hasn't been able to do to date. I'll try. But it's not for you. for that damn doll. (laughs) (laughs) Plus that that's an act out to commercial, right? Oh, you know it. (laughs) We are treated to more Vaseline, slightly sepia toned flashbacks. Mom Banner is sick during some previous Thanksgiving and oh, the acting. Dad, don't you think we should take her to the hospital? David, (laughs) I'll be fine. I've been like this before. (coughs) (laughs) You know she's sick because of the coughing. Yep. Uh, David has a bad dream about his mom later that night and hulks out at about the half minute, uh, half uh, mark in the episode in front of Helen. So let's just consider that for a moment. A dream triggers a Hulk out. A dream. (laughs) Yep. Stupid. Okay, he picks up a picture of his dad during the Hulk out and throws it against the wall and proceeds to trash the room before running through the glass back door and just running aimlessly through the fields. (laughs) Hulk's got daddy issues is what we're discovering here. And he goes to see daddy with a display of strength and passive aggressiveness as he stands outside his father's house or whatever he's got there and lifts a cart of hay and just kind of goes, then runs away again. (laughs) The Hulk, this monster just goes basically farts in front of his dad and runs away. That's what that scene was. Mm -hmm. So then he unhulks and has a chat with his dad. The next day, Uh, David makes this anti beetle juice. Meanwhile, Eckert incorporated brings in what I only describe as a lonely scientist with probably very creepy fetishes for the analysis of the situation. Here's that clip, but I really encourage you to seek out the actual video on Hulu because the uh, scientist's beard and his glasses, and of course he's got the smock, is is all just perfect and stupid. But just listen to him. Gentlemen, I have the analysis. But I'm afraid that Helen and her friend have done a rather remarkable job with this. This stuff is going to work very nicely indeed. (laughs) You uh, assured me the worms were immune to insecticide. Right, yes. I paid you a great deal of money to develop them. Right. But then you see, this is not an insecticide. No, it doesn't hurt the worms at all. What it does do, it forces them into a premature metamorphosis and they become beetles and thus harmless 
Hooray! <laughs> All right, so here's Krusty Dean Eckhart's plan. He's going to sabotage, sabotage the crust, crop, bleh, crop <laughs> dusting plane so that it'll crash when Dad Banner goes up to test the new chemicals that his son has created. David kind of figures this out, hulks out, and jumps on the biplane as it takes off, and Hulk spends, I'm shitting you not, the whole like third act on a biplane on its wing, <laughs> grunting to his father and holding up the wing while somehow also standing on it. Yep. Now, I don't know a lot about physics, <laughs> but I think I know enough that that's probably not possible. Okay. As soon as they make a safe landing, Hulk runs into the field and his dad has to harry into Henderson's him into running away go go (laughs) and then in the longest coda ever the journalist uh who is always pursuing david banner throughout the series arrives at the farm but helen and dad play dumb while david is allowed to escape through the back they invite the journalist over for thanksgiving And then we're treated to David is not wearing underpants. I just like to note. Yes. If you do any visual follow-ups, be (laughs) aware that children should not watch the end because (laughs) the incredible bulk. (laughs) And then we get sad walking away music. Right. Well said. And then we get some sad walking away music as we always do at the end. But this is the whistle version of the sad walking away music, which was sort of a treat. The end. So this episode was slow, boring, and formulaic. It has pacing issues and wooden performances. Also, the Hulk out scenes were not very hulky. For all these reasons, I think this episode deserves to be in the canon. Tara, what do you think? Well, this was the first episode of The Incredible Hulk that I've ever seen. I feel like if we were ever going to do one, it should be the one, the the much-heralded uh, the series of episodes I've been hearing about since probably the early 90s, the Bigfoot versus Incredible Hulk tr- 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 uh, trifecta, I believe. Is it three? How many of them are there? You don't know. I don't know. Okay. But, uh, I think for, Bigfoot also tangles with um, Six Million Dollar Man. Six Million Dollar Man. That's what I know Bigfoot from. Maybe also, that's what I'm thinking of. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he also appeared on The Incredible Hulk, but I, mean, I, I cannot feel like, confirm that. <laughs> I feel like Bigfoot was probably all over TV in the 70s. There was like the Waltons versus Bigfoot. <laughs> if there I wasn't, <laughs> there should have been. Anyway, um, yeah, all of everything you said in conclusion was correct. This was not good. <laughs> no, I, so I have sort of a lot of like just logistical questions about it, which <laughs> concluding like, why was Helen's lab in her giant house? Why does a single woman live in a house that gigantic? She's paying a lot of money to heat it. Parts of the house she probably never goes in. Why did David have to sleep like on a couch in that lab when surely that giant house had at least one guest room? I have to think unless Helen is a complete clod. Um, why did this bother me so much? Because the episode was really boring. It was the only thing that I could focus on. Every time they showed the B-roll of the house, I was like, why did she live somewhere that big? It makes no sense. But all the, the beats are so far apart, too. Yeah. Like, he, there, there's oh. there's scenes I, I didn't describe in my little <laughs> recap, but, like, he goes to uh, his mother's grave, and he stares at it for, like, 15 seconds. For a seconds. long time. I mean, 15 seconds unto itself doesn't sound that long, but it's an eternity mm-hmm. in TV time where it's literally just... And you, you really notice this, actually, old Night Riders, too. Mm-hmm. How much time is spent showing, like, not even 
Kit, but like the bad guys, whatever, Cadillac Broham, mm-hmm. driving to, you know, and just driving. Yep. And then there's, you know, the synth trombone. You think Kit has a... Uh... Like, through a series of switchbacks, like, <laughs> we get it. Like, just show them getting out of the car. But then they do that, and then they close the doors. And then someone has to make sure they lock the car. And they're like, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. And they talk about, are they properly insured? Did they get the right type of insurance at the rental counter when they got the car? Let me ask you this about Kit. I don't want to go off on a wild tangent here. But you think Kit has oh, yeah. all the accoutrements and appliances and gigas and gadgets and technology to actually cook a Thanksgiving dinner inside of him? <laughs> yes. Michael, the turkey is has to bake for four hours at 300 degrees. <laughs> I bet there's some kind of like fusion chamber in yeah. the back there uh-huh. that could be converted to a brining yep. apparatus. Yeah. Um. Anyway, back to the matter at hand. Uh-huh. Uh. I mean, I I have no context for whether this is standard for the era. I will say yeah, that it is how slow it is. Definitely is uh, of a piece with other so-called action. And <laughs> I assume you can hear my air quotes shows of that time. Um, because as we've said, it's super duper slow. Uh, but I did not hate watching it. <clears throat> I can't say it made me want to watch more though. Sarah. <laughs> um, I would like to perform a dramatic reading of my notes <clears throat> from this episode. 48 minutes, Muldaur. Ma Banner reading Byron to terrible child actor son. I hate you, Dave. <laughs> Synthesize this Beatles pheromone. Science montage with trombone. And en conclusion, Hulk grunts sound like angry bird pig grunts. <laughs> um, this was very slow, very bad. Um, I really do not need to know as much as I now know and cannot unknow about the tip of little Bill Bixby. (laughs) With that said, I laughed hysterically many times to the point where my husband came in the office and was like, why are you laughing at the Incredible Hulk? And I said, it's that or fall asleep. Uh, (laughs) This was not unenjoyable 48 well, minutes, Earth okay. minutes. Technically, it really, it really felt like a very long time <laughs> of watching people drive around, lock the car, stare at their mother's graves, blame their fathers silently for dying, starting <laughs> yes. and run away, running uh-huh. away. I'd also logistically like to um, renew my question, I guess, of why David Banner doesn't just like dress in way bigger clothes. <laughs> And it just sweatpants, maybe something with stretch. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Seventies polyester, show up a size or two and see what happens. Totally. Uh, Just the one other thing. Oh, I'm sorry. The one other thing we didn't mention about how slow it is is uh, that there are like four references to the secret spot the brother and sister are going to meet whenever things are going south for them. It's going to be their secret, of course, you know, and it pays off in the end. But they're literally mentioned it like you know three times before it actually happens. I was like, we get it. You're going to meet there at the end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. this is a great episode, guys. <laughs> it should be in the canon is what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Sarah. Were you done? Uh, I'm done. Okay. Shall we vote? Yeah, let's vote. And uh, Tara, what say you? I, I, I'm going to vote, Nate. I what? love you, though. Oh, my God. Uh, and Sarah? 
Um, I hate you, but I'm voting yes. Hilarious. <laughs> uh, you're just doing that because you know a tie means. Oh my God! Look, <laughs> my master plan is revealed because so when you fun. get the Hulk music at the end of a Hulk cannon submission, it's oh, in fact a win. Accepted. It's two negatives make a positive. <laughs> Therefore, I'm happy to say, Hulk. The Incredible Hulk, Season 3, Episode 6, Homecoming. You are hereby inducted into the extra hot great canon as far as I am concerned. But for the rest of the world, I'm sorry. You are not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, right in the middle of this Thanksgiving canon episode is a no-knack submission by Tara Ariana. Yes, it's the duck of this, the turducken of this episode. Um... (laughs) So I'm presenting for the Nonak, uh, season 10, episode eight of, uh, well, I'll just, of ER called Freefall. So just last week, my esteemed colleagues, Sarah D. Bunting and I were remembering the bad old days when ER was still the anchor of NBC's unbeatable Thursday night lineup and would fuck over decent, hardworking TV recappers of whom in those days there were a lot less than there are now by airing new episodes on Thanksgiving, America's second favorite national holiday. Um, season 10's Thanksgiving episode, Freefall, actually didn't premiere on Thanksgiving. It aired the week before I looked it up. But if it was not a direct insult to recappers, it was an affront to viewers, which is why I am submitting it for the Nonak. So for about the first third, Freefall is a very standard episode of ER. Students are overwhelmed by the challenges inherent in emergency medicine. Some patients present with ailments that let the show demonstrate they're paying attention to issues in society, capital I, capital S. Uh, In this case, Amy Pietz, as an HIV-positive pregnant woman who's experiencing a greater-than-usual amount of spotting, spoiler alert, she does not keep a baby. Another has a holiday-specific issue, the guy who badly cut his wrist with an electric carving knife. The hospital personnel are dealing with their interpersonal issues. Susan's still not sure she's that into um, medevac nurse Chuck. She's crazy. Sam is irritated to learn that her her bratty kid invited Luca to join them for Thanksgiving dinner. Pratt has reached has treated a rich jerk who was brought in after getting clipped by a truck. And because he's a rich jerk, he doesn't want to be treated at county. Um, Pratt has no patience for his bullshit and runs afoul of an obsequious Romano in clip one. That guy is the biggest real estate developer in Chicago. Yeah, more like the biggest prick. Now, when you get a VIP patient, sometimes... You treat him the same as everybody else. He's not stable. Well, if he has no solid organ injuries, I say he is stable. Well, then you're making a big mistake. He could have ongoing hemorrhage. My only mistake was continuing to allow you to practice medicine, Pratt. Wait a minute. You're willing to compromise patient care no, just so you can... We will determine objectively if he's able to be transferred. And if I'm not has- signing any transfer papers. Well, you don't have to because you're no longer on the case. Oh, great. Then my name won't be mentioned in your malpractice suit when he bleeds to death. Yeah, and as far as I'm concerned, you no longer work here. Right. No, I'm serious, Pratt. You just pissed me off for the last time. All right, so this is a good segue to what I think makes this episode Nonak worthy. Point the first. Wow, has the character of Romano ever aged badly? Um, Before the helicopter accident that claimed Romano's left arm uh, the previous season, we were supposed to think of him as a good doctor and basically decent person whose politically incorrect attitudes were just a personality quirk. 13 years later, it's pretty rough hearing him say shit like this to Neela, an Indian English med student, clip two. And a vacuum. Okay, what should she give? Pentolamine and Esmolol. Gold dot for your forehead. Ooh, (laughs) later he also calls Neela Indira. 
Um, it's been too long since I watched the season to remember what is clear in this episode is a long history of Romano beefing with Pratt, but this is Anspa's reaction to the record of disciplinary's letter, sorry, disciplinary letters in Pratt's file at the meeting Romano has demanded but does not attend, which we will get to. Uh, clip three. Best if we deal with this right now. Romano sent me a file of your disciplinary letters. Yeah, sometimes we don't see eye to eye on things. Well, there's enough documentation here to merit a suspension, I guarantee you that. Offending patients, contradicting consultants, refusing to comply with attendings' treatment plans. You care to respond? Look, I may have been out of line, maybe oh, once or twice. Excuse me? I don't give any credence to these allegations. If any of this were true, I would get complaints from other attendings. And obviously, Robert doesn't care enough about this to even show up. I saw you in action today. You're an excellent physician. Um, so I'm not saying this makes it sound like Romano is motivated to fire Pratt by racial animus. I'm not not saying that either. And even if the re- the issue is that Romano is threatened by the choices of a new doctor who's as brash as Romano was before his amputation, it still doesn't speak that well of Romano as a manager or person. Number two, was it necessary for us to see the flashback to Romano's arm getting chopped off by the helicopter blade? I mean, was anyone just tuning in to watch the show for the very first time in episode eight of season 10? Assume we all know what happened and why he would try to weasel out of going up to the roof to return the rich jerk's Rolex when he's getting loaded into the medevac helicopter for his trip to a better hospital. Point the three. As a very special mass casualty event episodes go, this one is ridiculous. So the rich jerk gets loaded into the helicopter and then the windsock thing on the roof goes dead and then the helicopter starts spinning out of control, roughly crashes, tips over, breaks its still spinning blades on the roof, one of which flies into a red shirt nurse bringing the gurney back down in the elevator but spares opening credits cast member Parminder Nagra. And then basically rolls off. It snags a window on the way down, starting a fire in the ward where Luca has just locked one of his patients to force the nurses there to look after him because the ER is too full. And then clip four. Guys, that's the sound of the helicopter falling on Romano and crushing him to death. Uh, Six months after the episode when Romano lost an arm to presumably a different helicopter, he's lost his life to this one. Uh, Sarah and I were IMing last week about the possibility that Paul McCrane, who played Romano, was ready to leave the show and focus on directing. And he ended up directing a bunch of ERs after this. And while he still acts sometimes, he did two under the domes in 2015, you guys. He's mostly a director of shows, including Scandal, Nashville, Empire, and Glee, among many others. Did he tell the writers he wanted to go out in the most showy, memorable, dramatically pathetic ways imaginable? He seems like a cool dude who might have a sense of humor about the way his character exited the show, but we can't know whether that's what he wanted. That's definitely what he got, though. Uh, The rest of the episode is pretty rote. The staff is barely up to the challenge of treating all the wounded. Abby has to break the rules to save Chuck's life. And thank God, because when Susan thought he died on the helicopter, finding out that he'd never actually gotten on it made her realize she loves him. Clip five. Hey, it's not that big a deal. I thought you were on that chopper. Oh, God, no. They brought their own flight nurse and the bitch wouldn't let me fly. That bitch saved your life. If Susan didn't figure out she was meant to spend the rest of uh, her life with him from the fact that he's played by Dona Logue, I guess I'm just happy for her that someone did. Uh, As we heard earlier, the upside of Romano's death is that he can't try to argue for Pratt's termination, even if it sounds like he wouldn't have convinced Anspa to go along with him if he had been there. 
The downside is that he was the only one to have seen the utterly terrible Morris smoking weed. He lifted off a glaucoma patient. So that shithead gets to continue working at County 2 for a while, as I recall. Uh, In the chaos, no one's had quite the chance to notice that Romano's been MIA since the helicopter crash, but we close on the first responders lifting the wreckage off the pavement in the ambulance bay. So that'll be for episode nine. Freefall does a lot of little things wrong that were endemic in the season, like foregrounding Abby and Sam, who were never as compelling as the show thought they were. But ultimately, it's the episode where Romano, a character who'd already lost an arm in a helicopter mishap, was smushed to death by a falling helicopter. It's one of the most memorably embarrassing things this show ever did, and I feel it's a no-knackable offense. Sarah D. Bunting. Um, yeah, this also, first of all, Romano hasn't aged well, but uh, Paul McCrane, also late of Cop Rock, um, mm-hmm. always knew how to like bring a little brio and interest to the show. Uh, I believe this is where I stopped watching, not just because they'd killed him, but because of how they killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam is annoying and her stupid kid is annoying. Ugh. Yep. This episode almost got through the whole thing before stupid Carter and his stupid <laughs> doctors without bearders <laughs> facial hair situation. And oh, then yeah. there he is again. Like that face pube situation could get with uh, Tundee Newton, please. Um, yeah, it's just not, it's not good. And it especially shows poorly since we just inducted the um, Carter and Abby gets stabbed episode into the canon fairly recently. And Mm -hmm. it's like, it does, like you said, feel very rote in terms of like, you know, everyone pulling together to deal with the situation and people running down. Like there is something about, and I said this at the time, the appearance of Peter Benton at like the top of the stairs and you see his feet coming down and you're like, well, here's the, here's the cavalry. And like, it tried to replace that feeling with other characters, but mm-hmm. it just didn't work. Mm-mm. So this this episode felt they're like, you know, it's a lot of characters I didn't care for. It cheesily killed off a character I did sort of like, despite his, you know, crappy political incorrectness that could have been why Paul McCrane asked out of the show. In fact, he was like, well, it was one thing when I was a brash surgeon. Now I'm just a bigoted dick. Like, right. Okay. Fair enough. Good call. Um, there was hardly any Carrie. Luca kind of looked like shit. Like he was all <laughs> sprinkler hair of the episode. Yep. And I just, it, yeah. And I think the red shirt nurse was actually Trudy, which don't, don't mess with Trudy. That's not okay. Was it? So, I don't think so. I think it was someone oh, else. Oh, really? I think, okay. it was, yeah. Um, she was Asian, yeah, I think. Still. I mean, yeah, it's just not, it's just like this pale sort of imitation, like trying to recapture what made the show magical and compelling. And it just fails on just about every, just about every um, front. How much longer did the show go on after this? Five this years? is season five. Yeah. It, sorry. This is season 10 and it ended in season 15. I mean, Yeah. Like, I tried. I tried to stick it out, but I just couldn't. I'm not sure, though, that this is a worse helicopter-related offense than a hero falls 10,000 feet. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. What was that? But 
Someone should someone should present that one as a as a known act. Remind um, us what yeah. that is, Sarah. Um, I don't even remember what. Like Mark Green was in a helicopter above a junkyard, and the promos were like a hero falls ten thousand feet, and then of course it like managed to land safely. Right, and they were just like in the junkyard for a while cool story bros but it was like that was like exhibit a 10 or 15 years ago of how deeply misleading nbc promos inevitably were yeah um yeah good presentation thank you uh i didn't actually dislike watching the episode but it's so like it's so campy Mm mm-hmm no, it's still a good show. It's very watchable. It's like the West Wing in that respect, where even when stuff is corny, like it still works. But yeah, it's still built very professionally. But it's yeah, it clearly is. Well, it know. moves so fast that you know, even if it's a bad moment, it usually moves on to something else. Yeah, you know, it's just like basically it's the tapas of television. You know, you're not actually getting a full meal. You're just getting small plates. Yeah, and there wasn't enough. I forget the character's name, Sharif Atkins. I don't remember his name either. Oh, look. Yeah, I don't either. He, I wish that guy would get like a starring role on something. I feel like he was always on the verge and then he's never quite verged. Yeah, he's good. I thought he was really famous after booking ER, but it just never quite, quite happened. No, it's true. Dave. Gallant, Michael Gallant. Yes. Thank you. Uh, So I will admit, I kind of love the idea that the helicopter is to McCrane or uh, sorry to uh, Ro- Romano uh, yeah Romano as you know the crocodile is to Captain uh, Hook um, even with the you know the TikTok versus the thump, 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 thump of the blades like it's it's so ridiculous um, <laughs> that I kind of love it um, that it's just so beyond the pale uh that it is actually like a transcendental <laughs> transcending moment for uh for ER is just so stupid unbelievably stupid one of the things that you just have to wonder what the process was for it to actually still get on television who was this plot points champion in the writing room how did it get through all the checks and balances of 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 the showrunner et cetera, et cetera, that it actually made it to television, that a world-class surgeon is attacked by two separate <laughs> helicopters, Yep. first cutting off a arm and then smushing them into goo yep. on a network television program. I kind of think that's awesome. Um, this... And it's not like it's a. It's not like he took poison either. Like they had to do VFX and shit with yes. this. Like <laughs> there were a lot of hands in this, a lot of fingers in this shit pie. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it is ridiculous. You know, it is ten. Like that whole from the helicopter landing to him getting squished is like a whole 10 minutes of this episode. (laughs) Otherwise this episode is just like any other ER episode, you know, uh, and ER probably did a dozen or so mass casualty episodes. I'm sure probably one or two a season. So it's probably more than that, but, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of love it. Oh no. (laughs) It's not good. (laughs) But I think it goes around. I think it comes back around sure, again. I, I mean, I appreciate that argument. Sure. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's so bad. It's good. 
And I don't think that precludes it from being Nonak. I no. See, for me, the no the gold standard for the Nonak is Battlestar Galactica's Black Market. It is such a departure. It is so foreign to the rest of the show. It is uh, an, uh, a shit island unto itself in the ocean of that show. <laughs> and this is just sort of like really uh, silly, dumb, uh, ill-advised, cartoonish thing that happened in a, you know, what was supposed to be a prestige drama. And it was a disservice to the show. But I kind of loved it. I kind of love that this character is being hunted by helicopters. And that he even got to do it. No. Yeah, exactly. Look, I, I agree with you. It was not like an unenjoyable experience. Yeah. But I think because it was like this, as you said, like this got past all the checks and balances to become this. Yeah. Whatever the opposite of a monument is. Right. To self-seriously shitty decision making and it ran me off a show that i had adored for yeah. 10 years yeah. so okay well I, I, I also appreciate that so i say let's put this to the vote so sarah i'm guessing it's a yes but it is all right no so, knack it. all right i am saying it is not a no knack i enjoyed watching it and if i enjoy watching a, a no knack submission it cannot therefore be a no knack so fair enough i am oh. sorry <laughs> But ER, season 10, episode 8, Freefall, the one where Romano is hunted by a helicopter for the very last time, you are hereby not inducted (laughs) into the Nonak. All right, let's get that taste out of our mouths. It is time for Sarah to present. Take it away, Sarah. Uh, I am presenting Mad Men's first season finale, season one, episode 13, The Wheel. In the true spirit of Thanksgiving, i.e. that shining of a Klieg light for many of us on the divide between the aspirational family the winter holidays urge us to believe in, aided not for nothing by advertising, and the stressful, conflicted, disappointing reality, I bring you the finale of Mad Men's first season, The Wheel. The episode's title refers, of course, to the product Don Draper's tasked with selling. Besides himself as the best salesman for it, Kodak's slide projector, quote, technology. The pitch that Don comes up with, an ode to nostalgia as sales tool, aided by stereotypical ad agey slides of himself, Betty, and the kids at the holidays and other happy times, is so moving that Harry, currently separated from his wife and bunking Harryishly in the Sterling Cooper offices, begins <laughs> weeping and rushes from the room. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. 
My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! And the client calls from the lobby to sign on after the pitch. Because the pitch is so effective, not just in the Mad Meniverse and on the client, but in pitching Don to us, the viewer, as a master of his craft, I've called for quite a long clip of the presentation. Why don't we hear that now? Clip one. My first job, I was in-house at a fur company with this old pro copywriter, Greek, named Teddy. And Teddy told me the most important idea in advertising is new creates an itch you simply put your product in there as a kind of calamine lotion but he also talked about a deeper bond with the product nostalgia it's delicate but potent sweetheart Teddy told me that in Greek, nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound. It's a twinge in your heart, far more powerful than memory alone. This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. backwards and forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Let's travel the way a child travels. Round and around, and back home again. To a place where we know we are loved. What you can't see, because this is an audio medium, is Don's fond, rueful face as he's scrolling through the slides of his family, his wedding day, etc. What the client doesn't see is what underlays all this hominess. Don's serial infidelity. He's gotten clocked for La Faire Mencken by Burt Cooper earlier in the episode. His wife Betty struggles to reconcile her privilege and her desperate loneliness. Or the empty house he returns to at the end of the episode. Betty having taken him at his word that he, quote, couldn't come to Thanksgiving at her family's and gone to her father's without him. Don is willing to leverage his seemingly idyllic history and family life for the sake of a pitch, but the reality is quite different. 
He's not even Don Draper, really. And he finds out in the wheel that the only family of Dick Whitman's he had left, his half-brother Adam, has hanged himself in his room at an SRO hotel months since. Everyone else in the episode is struggling with appearances versus emotional reality as well. Betty Draper wants Don to treat her family as his own. But at the same time, Francine's tearful puncturing of Betty's denial about Don's fidelity leads to the revelation that he's been calling her therapist to check up on her. The only man she can trust, creepy neighbor boy Glenn, is now forbidden by his parents to have contact with her anymore. When she runs into him in a parking lot by chance, their interaction is weird, pathetic, and one of Betty's few relatable moments. Clip two. My mother is going to come out. I don't care. Glenn, I can't talk to anyone. It's so horrible. I'm so sad. Please tell me I'll be okay. I don't know. They're holding hands through the window in this uh, scene. Uh, Pete Campbell, meanwhile, is driven to prove his trifling self to both his father-in-law and his office older brother figure, Don. This drive pays off with the clearasil account, but it isn't as satisfying on either front as Pete had hoped. The approval he craves from cool kid Don is sort of forthcoming in clip three. That's a real account, Campbell. How'd that happen? I'm not embarrassed to say my father-in-law is a former salesman, now executive there. That's generous. He's interested in my future. Congratulations. I'm sure with a little bit of lawyering, you're entitled to that bonus. I got the bonus. And Cooper gave me some book by Ayn Rand. He seemed assured, as I hope you are, that I have a significant investment in this company. Well, you do now, don't you? It matters to me that you're impressed. I am. He isn't exactly. Uh, also, Don immediately undercuts this in Pete's opinion when he details Peggy to work on the Clearasil account as a copywriter, a position to which he is obliged to promote her on the spot while Pete fumes. <laughs> the wheel is, unfortunately, light on Joan, but she does get in some classic Joan whiz as she's walking Peggy to her new office. Clip four. I said congratulations, didn't I? Although, sometimes when people get what they want, they realize how limited their goals were. So I guess I'll put you in with Victor Manny. David Steuben got fired. Fired? People hated his work. Oh, will I get business cards? Please make all your requests through Bridget. Of course. Peggy, I know you a little. Remember, just because you now have a door, don't forget that once you didn't. Think of the other girls or they won't think of you. Peggy spent the bulk of the episode wrestling with her own version of appearances versus reality, struggling to cast and direct a radio commercial for the Relaxicizer, which is clearly a vibrator, and projecting her issues with her quote-unquote mysterious weight gain 
onto a voice actress whom she makes cry, then ends up firing. But this is merely the tip of the denial iceberg, as Peggy is the last person in the world to figure out that her two tight clothes and stomach pains mean she's pregnant and in labor. Clip five. My stomach hurts really bad. I think I had a bad sandwich. Let's take a look. didn't mention that you were expecting. What? You're going to be a mother. That's impossible. The eve of Thanksgiving, a holiday ostensibly about family and food, finds Peggy alone in the hospital, refusing to feed or even look at her newborn, and Don on the steps of his empty house, starving for once for the simple affection of his children, but left alone the way he's abandoned them so many times emotionally. The wheel is quintessential Mad Men. A lot of legendary plot is happening. Don gets to rock star it up in a pitch. The writing features a central conceit that, while it occasionally feels labored, ripples outward from itself more elegantly than it managed to in later seasons. And its characters behave in frustratingly dumb, self-destructive, and tone-deaf ways that make them endearingly human, and the compelling people and asshats that turn the show into a critical powerhouse. There's not enough Joan, no Roger at all, and way too much of Harry's underpants, but it's still a great episode (laughs) of an often great show at the top of its game. So I hope my fellow panelists will agree with Don that nostalgia is effective and put the wheel in the extra hot great canon carousel. Yeah, I see what you did there. Um, Yeah, I was so pleased. I'd forgotten that this was a Thanksgiving episode. So when you picked it, I was so happy to get to watch it again. I've been pitching a Mad Men rewatch to Dave for a long time. He keeps saying no. He's a big jerk, but um, so I was. I was uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, even if Tara, you haven't learned enough about Mad Men. If you're pitching me a Mad Men rewatch and I'm saying no, that's a great point. I am ashamed. Um, but uh, honestly, while the entire your whole case is excellent, of course, and I especially appreciate the <laughs> the new adverb hairyishly, which I will be adopting because <laughs> it's he's, so perfect. He's so hairyish. He's the hairiest that he's ever been. I mean, like starting with getting caught with a smoking waste paper basket and then just like leaving it on someone's desk to go in and have a drink with Don. Like, is that not still on fire? Okay, whatever. (laughs) Anyway, uh, and then it ending with Don being like dismissed. (laughs) So great. (laughs) Fucking Don. Anyway, um, all you really needed to to put in in the clips was the the presentation for the carousel because that alone to me makes this episode canon worthy and as we were watching it dave was like i totally forgot all this other stuff like of um peggy going into labor because in 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 my memory too it was like the episode ends after that after that meeting but of course there is more to it so um yeah, there's no question. This is this is excellent. You didn't talk about it this a huge amount, but the uh, the moment when Don fantas Don comes home and he's just made it in time to go to um, his in laws for Thanksgiving, and then we find out it's a fantasy is like very well done and heartbreaking because it's so understated. Like even what the fantasy is, like yeah. his his dreams of what could be are so achievable, and yet he keeps getting in his own way the Don Draper story but um yeah this was a real pleasure to watch again and an excellent presentation Dave uh I enjoyed the scene where Don gets dressed down by uh Burt Cooper (laughs) yeah uh that's always fun to see uh 
I liked I liked early season for Cooper where he still had power and uh, you know, a little moxie to him um before he was sort of like sidelined a bit. Uh this episode is really great. You're right, you know, I didn't really I, I like you kind of thought that the climax of this episode was the pitch, but no, it wasn't. There was quite a bit going on after it. And I not only totally forgot that Peggy had that scene in this episode. I totally forgot she was ever pregnant. That's how long it's been since I've watched Bad Men. Well, Don was right. You won't believe how much this didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I. first of all, Tara, I don't remember you pitching me a Bad Men rewatch recently. I have. All right. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'd be into it. There you go. See, everything worked out. Thanks, Sarah D. Bunting, for pitching this and <laughs> making me interested in Mad Men again. Um, yeah, the you know, I found when we moved here, I found a carousel. Did I? Did I have I mentioned that in the podcast? When we moved here, the house was totally cleared out, except at the top of one of the closets, there was an old carousel. Oh, yeah. And it's full of slides of somebody building a barn in the next town over, like it's labeled. And uh, I always kind of thought it would be fun to like try to find those people because if they're still at that property, it's a pretty small community. Um, But I'm a lazy man and it hasn't happened yet. But they're all like like from the 60s and 70s. So Um, anyways, carousel. Um, Yeah, this was a great episode and it really puts in perspective why don draper is the superstar that he is in the advertising world even at this early part in his journey and you're right uh, you know the episode didn't have much joan who's everybody's favorite character and if it isn't it should be um but uh that moment where she you know kind of gives peggy that you know don't get full of yourself warning is absolutely excellent and speaks to uh joan's professionalism and heart which is why we all love joan anyways uh great episode i really enjoyed re-watching it even if it wasn't quite the episode that i remembered in my head <laughs> yeah. uh, but still a canon worthy entry in my opinion and tara what say you oh yes definitely yay all right Mad Men Season 1, Episode 13, The Wheel. You are hereby inducted into the extra hot great canon and are only victory of the day. Americans love a winner <laughs> and will not tolerate a loser. <laughs> it is time for winner and loser of the week, Thanksgiving week edition. Tara has her winner. Uh, it's Full Frontal with Samantha B, a show I have really, really loved since uh, Joe Reed's advocacy of it on this very podcast made me start watching it, despite the fact that she had really annoyed me back on Daily Show Times. I, I love and treasure her. That show is amazing, and we will definitely be needing it in 2017. So congratulations to everyone at Full Frontal with Samantha B on their renewal for season two. And Loser of the Week. Uh, that would be Dr. Phil. Yeah. Um, this is not the first time Dr. Phil has been accused of exploiting the addictions and mental illnesses of the famous and notorious for ratings. But Shelley Duvall's appearance on the program last week uh, was, well, it was a low. I'm not sure how new it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was grim. And there was like outrage on on Twitter from other 
mental health advocates and famous people who are just like, well, now you've gone too far. Yeah. yeah. Not good. Poor Shelly. No, no. But that that does bring up an interesting, interesting question. Oh, does it? It does. Do you know what time it is? Is it non-regulation game time? It sure is. Hello, everybody. <laughs> it's me, Sarah DeBunting, uh, the author of this week's non-regulation game time Woo! called Mother, May I Sleep with Game Time. <clears throat> Here's how it works. I will give you a title and a plot summary of a movie with some sort of crime in its title. You will tell me whether the film I have described is a lifetime movie. <laughs> there may be TV movies in the mix that did not appear on Lifetime, There may be movies that were not actually TV movies. They may all be Lifetime movies. There's only one way to find out, and that's to play Mother, May I Sleep with Game Time. Picky, could you please select the first player for us? We will start with Tara. Oh. Oh, all right. We have 20 total questions. One point per correct answer. No hints. There are a couple of tiebreakers slash shits and giggles questions, but I feel confident that we can get through this with just true false answers. It's going to be fine. Remember, you are assessing whether or not this was a lifetime movie. Got Ready it. Play. Yep. Okay. Uh, murder in the Hamptons. This was also called Million Dollar Murder. <laughs> when multimillionaire Ted Ammon is found bludgeoned to death at his East Hampton estate, suspicion falls on his estranged wife, Generosa Rand, and her lover, Danny Pelosi. <laughs> Starring Poppy Montgomery and some Canadians. Okay. Eat true. Correct. That is a Lifetime movie. (laughs) Ready for your first question? I am. All right. A Little Thing Called Murder. Based on the true story of mother-son tag team Sante Kimes and her offspring Kenny, who crisscrossed the country and committed a string of crimes. Among them, robbery, fraud, arson, slavery, and murders that shocked the world. Starring Judy Davis and Jonathan Jackson as the Kimes. Lifetime movie? No. Ah! I thought it sounded too expensive. Going across the country (laughs) and slavery seemed a little little salacious. That's a real case. I don't know who that is. It has been several movies. Okay. Okay, back to Tara. Yep. American heist. James owes his life to his older brother, Frankie, after taking the rap for a crime they committed together. While Frankie served time, James worked to turn his life around, got a steady job, and began courting his former girlfriend, Emily. Now Frankie is out, back on the streets, with no money and no place to go. Starring Hayden Christensen and Adrian Brody. Mm, Wow. False. Correct. Yeah. Too many boys. Came out last year. It was a what? It was an actual movie movie. Like theatrical release. Okay. Which I had never heard of before. All right. Dave. Mm -hmm. He'll murder do us part. Yeah. (laughs) A.K.A. A Woman Scorned. The Betty Broderick story. Betty torments her husband with childish vandalism and verbal threats after he leaves her for another woman. (laughs) Nobody anticipates what ends up happening as the games escalate. Starring Meredith Baxter and Stephen Collins in their second screen marriage. Ooh. Is it a lifetime movie? Boy, ooh. Hmm. 
What? Hmm. I don't know what I would say in this case. Okay. Uh, see, my problem is it sounds like I might be too old for Lifetime. Like if if this sounds like either this is something that happened at the beginning of their careers or something they settled for very recently. <laughs> uh, oh, wait a sec. But didn't she get di- did she get divorced and change her name? What's going on? I'm going to say yes. Yes, it's a Lifetime movie? Yes. No! Oh! Was it another network? This miniseries. Uh-huh. Oh, Stephen Collins, you're gross. Um, back <laughs> to Tara. Yes. Human trafficking. From a torture chamber in Queens to the flesh peddlers of Russia. Note, I did not write these summaries. Mm-hmm. The hunt is on as the fates of relentless ICE agents, the ruthless traffickers, and their defenseless victims collide in a powder keg conspiracy of global proportions. Starring Mira Sorvino, Donald Sutherland, Robert Carlyle, and many, many other people. Is it a Lifetime movie? I think so. Yes. That's final answer? Yes. 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 Hey. Damn it. It's going to be okay, Dave. No, it's not. Dave, you know Sorry. I read TV listings every day for my job, right? Ah. Okay. Okay, Dave. Comeback trail. Uh, yeah. I killed my BFF. Okay. A friendship between two young mothers results in murder when one develops an attraction to the other's boyfriend. Annabelle Barrett, Katrina Bowden, and many, many Canadians. Is it a Lifetime movie? Yes. I'm going to... Oh, okay. He said yes. Ah. Yeah! I was going to help you by saying that Katrina Bowden is Suri from 30 Rock. Ah. Yeah, seems about right. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, pretty much. Tara, yes. Dead Man's Riddle. Mm-hmm. After joining the accident investigation team, a psychologist fears she may have accidentally caused an accident. <laughs> CHP team recreates a crash. On purpose? I, I'm just, <laughs> just reading what the IMDb said. Okay. Just a lot of by accident, accident on accident. Um, yeah. I'm going to say false. Ah. Yeah. That one starred Joanna Kearns and was a Chips episode. Love. Yeah. Wait. Dave. Wait. Was a Chips episode? Yeah. Yeah. Like also a Chips episode. Oh, I said it was false. I oh, I wasn't. thought you said it was true. No, oh, no. Oh, okay. No. okay, 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 okay. No, it was a Chips episode. My apologies. Dave. Yeah. The Intruders. Oh. After the traumatic loss of her mother, a teenage girl tries to uncover the dark secrets behind her new home in spite of her father's disbelief. Miranda Cosgrove, Do- Tom Sizemore, and Donald Logue. Star. Oh. Mm. False. Yeah! Good. Good job, Dave. Yeah, that cast seemed too big for a lifetime. Mm. Okay. The Killing Game. Yep. Forensic sculptor Eve Duncan, played by Laura Prepon. <laughs> Wet, oh, wow, this is bad writing. Ten years after the disappearance and murder of her seven-year-old daughter, Bonnie, is contacted by a man claiming to be her killer, presumably Bonnie's killer, haunted by the man's mysterious clues about Bonnie's case. Eve becomes involved in his sadistic game when he threatens to kill another little girl that he targeted because she resembles her precious daughter. Naomi uh, Judd also stars. Oh, boy. Naomi? Shit. I'm going to say... False, because I think this was probably like a straight-to-DVD joint. So, false. Shit! Lifetime movie. Damn it. All right. All right. Dave. 
Yes, ma'am. Love, lies, and murder. Mm. When a young housewife is murdered, the cops find her troubled daughter guilty after she confesses to the crime. But was she really the killer? Starring Clancy Brown, Moira Kelly, Cheryl Lee, and Cynthia Nixon. Is it a Lifetime movie? Ooh, man, that cast, that could go eat that. Mm, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> That's what I would have said, buddy. too, if it helps. Okay. Um, can we have a score break? We can. David T. Cole has two. <laughs> yeah. I have four, so it's still pretty close. Yeah. We're only halfway yeah. through. Yeah. You could still turn it around. Oh, I will. Don't you worry about it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Tara. Yes. Identity theft. The true story of Michelle Brown, who has her identity stolen and $50,000 purchased under her name, starring Kimberly Williams Paisley, Jason London, and Annabella Shiora. Is it a Lifetime movie? Yes. Sure is. Dave. Yeah. Happy Face Murders. An eccentric older woman, Anne Margaret, implicates her brutal and controlling lover in the murder of a young, intellectually disabled girl. Absorbed with murder she wrote in Matlock, she creates the details of the murder from clues she picks up from the detectives, Mark Helgenberger and Henry Thomas, on the case. (laughs) Implicating herself and sentenced to jail, she then recants her testimony, but no one believes her until clues surface from the real killer that he is still out there, has killed before, and will kill again. He signs his messages with happy faces. Uh... If this isn't one, I am going to leave the room, never come back, because this sounds like the lifetimeiest thing that ever lifetime, <laughs> including the name, including the name, although I suppose that could be an episode title of something else, but I'm saying it is a lifetime movie. Um, before you leave the room and us forever, Aww. please know there was a lifetime movie called Happy Face Killer. This oh, come is not on. that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Willie, yeah, yeah. Willie, don't care. <laughs> Tara, yes, ma'am. Cleveland abduction. Mm-hmm. A single mother who becomes the first victim of kidnapper Ariel Castro finds herself trapped in his home for eleven years, where she eventually becomes a friend and sister to two other women who are taken captive by Castro. Starring Taryn Manning, Joe Morton, and Pam Greer. Is it a lifetime movie? Yes, it is. Is Dave still here? Yeah. No. In body, if not spirit. I, I feel good about your chances. Love's Deadly Triangle, the Texas cadet murder, also called Swearing Allegiance. Diane and David love each other, but when they go to separate army academies, David has an affair. Diane snaps, and ultimately something very sinister happens that the couple get involved in. Oh, <laughs> Holly Marie Coombs, Cassidy Ray, and Pitch's own Joanna Garcia Swisher. Is this a Lifetime movie? Yes. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Tara. Yeah. Taken in broad daylight. The true and inspiring survival story of kidnapped teen Anne Slutty. Mm Mm-hmm. It's spelled S-L-U-T-I, so I'm just going to go with Slutty. Okay. And how she manages to stay alive by manipulating her captor, engineering her own rescue, and negotiating her safe release after six days of terror and hell, starring Sarah Canning and James Vanderbeek. Lifetime movie? Um, false. Shit. 
It was a lifetime movie. Also, six days sounds like kid stuff. You've just come after Cleveland abduction, by the way. I know. Like, <laughs> fucking baby. <laughs> just kidding. Seem Glad like you're really okay, Miss Ludi. Dave, yeah, the Versace murder. This docudrama focuses on the true story of the murder of fashion designer Gianni Versace by alleged serial killer Andrew Cunanan. Starring Stephen Bauer and uh, Agent Harris from, um, not Agent Harris, Matt Servito from The Sopranos. He played an FBI agent. Lifetime movie? What was the beginning of part of that again? What was the, oh, it was Versace. This docudrama yeah, Versace. focuses on the true story of blah, blah, blah. All right. So then it's not, because it sounds, that sounds like it could have been a Law & Order episode, but then it's, it wasn't fictionalized. So I had to, blah, blah, blah. Yes. <laughs> Nope. Sorry. <laughs> George is getting upset. Oh, Dave loves playing game time. Tara. Yes. Murder of innocence. Mm-hmm. Newlywed Lori Wade finds her marriage and eventually the rest of her life shattered by her deep-rooted psychotic behavior. <laughs> she goes from brief short circuits to overtly murderous behavior. The film never tries to explain the cause of her mental collapse except for a hint or two but instead takes us into her frightening state of mind starring Valerie Bertinelli and some other people you've never heard of. Is this a lifetime movie? Yes. Should be. Oh, shit. I didn't think Valerie Bertinelli did anything else, but lifetime movie. (laughs) Yeah. I think occasionally a um, Jenny Craig campaign. Right. And hot in Cleveland. Yeah. Memories of murder. Yeah. Jennifer. Nancy Allen is a woman who is suffering from amnesia to the extent that she does not even recognize her husband and daughter. Extremely confused and tormented, she desperately seeks to piece together her life and in doing so stumbles upon some startling secrets from her shadowy past. Namely that a female killer connected to her from her earlier life is intent on stalking her and seeking revenge by killing her and her family. Co-starring Vanity. Oh, we, movie. So Vanity and I believe RoboCop's Nancy Allen in Correct. the same movie. Yep. Uh huh. Murphy, it's you. Um. <laughs> yes. Hey. Tara. Yep. Murder of Princess Diana. Mm-hmm. A fictionalized account of the events leading up to the tragic car accident that claimed the lives of Princess Diana, her companion Dodie Fayed, and their chauffeur in a Paris tunnel. Starring Jennifer Morrison as Princess Diana. <gasps> Lifetime movie? Oh, God. Really? Great, so. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, false. <laughs> Shit, really? It's a Lifetime movie. What yeah. year? Do you have that information? Um, Sometimes I do, but on this one, I don't. Okay. It's relatively recent. It was like 2012. My or God. Mm. Like, she should have. Jennifer Morrison was old enough to know better. By yeah. That Shit. Dave, a mm. killer among friends. Beautiful and popular Jenny Monroe has everything. The looks, the popularity, and the perfect mom. One day, Jenny goes out with her friends to the park and doesn't come home. Three days later, she's found murdered face down in a lake. Why? Who cares about that detail? Anyway, <laughs> her grieving mother, Jean, whom had a special bond with her daughter, won't rest until she finds out who her daughter's killer is. And neither will Jenny's best friend, Ellen Holloway. This one stars Loretta Swit, Patty Duke, and Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Wow. Is it a Lifetime movie? Shit. Loretta Swit. Holy cow. <laughs> um, 
and Patty Duke and v Valerie from 90210. Uh-huh. Oh, man, that cast really feels like a Lifetime movie. But I... Mm, see, now I'm second-guessing myself. <laughs> so... I'm going to... It is! CDS. Sorry. Wow. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, I believe that was 20 questions. Oh, shit. Okay, well, um, it ended up being very close, Dave. No, it didn't. Yes, it did. You had four, I had six. That was very close. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. All right. So why do you quit being such a baby about it? I'm not being a baby about it. I'm just disappointed in myself. <laughs> okay. You know how much lifetime I watch? I do. A lot. <laughs> All right. Yes. Let's do the shits and giggles. Question. Yes. Oh, okay. my God. I need that. <laughs> uh, number one, an officer and a murderer. Mm -hmm. The true story of a powerful and respected military officer, Gary Cole, who committed numerous brutal crimes and was eventually brought down by a tenacious small town police detective. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to say true. I'm going to say false. It is true. Yeah. Hey. And the second one, the staircase murders. Uh -huh. After calling 911 to report his wife's accident, successful novelist and aspiring politician Michael Peterson becomes the prime suspect in her alleged murder, starring Treat Williams as Michael Peterson, as well as Kevin Pollock. 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 Racist. And Samir Armstrong. Was it a Lifetime movie? False. I, I think it was, yeah, false. I agree. No, it was. It was wow. I know. I didn't even know they made a like fictionalized or scripted version of that. I like, knew there was one, but I didn't, like and that treat was in it. But I thought I thought it was not Lifetime. So, wow. all right, all right, that was it, Tara. You are. It is. Tara is now the proud possessor of five Sarah points. Hey. Uh, Tara. Tara. What does Sarah points get you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just keep track of them. All right. That is it for another episode of Extra Hot. Great, folks. We celebrated Thanksgiving the only way we know how. Getting together with good family. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we're so close to finishing. Getting together with... Good friends. Yep. And family. Sure. Consuming gamma rays and cream corn. Getting crushed under the weight of your greatest fears and renewing ourselves at the carousel. We gave our thanks for the winners and losers of the week. And Tara was the winner of this week's Lifetime Movie Game Time. Remember, we're listening. I am, I think, David T. Cole, and I'm here on behalf of Tara Ariano. No! And Sarah D. Bunting. Thanking you for listening. We'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Gray in two weeks, right? Yep. Today was pretty amazing. I've never seen anything like it. I didn't think we could handle it, but we did. Did really well. We saved lives. <laughs> 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 this has been a production of the previously.tv podcast network.